My name is Justin Clark, and I'm a part of the leadership team here at Revolution. So thank you guys for joining us. Um, I want to give you guys a quick update because I know we're, we're meeting here in the sanctuary, and um, we've talked a lot about moving to um, the old gymnasium here in this church building. Um, some of that transformation started to happen. The walls are painted. Um, the new stage is traced out on the floor. The, the material to build the new stage is here. And um, we're just working to get coordinated with the guys who are going to help us put that together. So um, from there, there are some other things we need to do, but we're still targeting um, the month of August for our, our move into the new um, area where we will hold our service and gather as a church family every week to, to, worship, the, to worship our king, to grow together, and to, to really serve this community. So um, as we roll into the month of August, we'll start to talk more about um, reaching out to the college students, the campus at Shawnee State as those students come back. So um, be kind of have your ears opened up and hopefully your hearts opened up to reach out to that population of folks here in town because we think that that is a vital group that really um, there's just so many people in that age group and that demographic that want to know Jesus, that want to be in a relationship with Jesus um, and just really need a place to plug in. So we're, we're looking to really ramp up our efforts in that area um, this year. So we'll be putting that out there as well. And then another thing, just be mindful, and, and he may talk about um, and we've talked about it at length, but Pastor Matt will be going for surgery tomorrow. Um, and guys, he is, just, he is vital to the rhythm of our church, to this, the, the life of this church, and um, obviously his ability to teach um, the word, but not only what he does here on Sunday nights where he talks and teaches, um, but just so much of what goes on here is a result of what Matt um, labors over for you guys. And so I just want to encourage you guys, um, just lift him up, lift him up tonight, lift him up tomorrow morning as he goes into procedure, lift um, his wife, Emily, and their son, Jackson, up because they're going to have to put up with him for the next couple of months on a daily basis. Um, but seriously, this um, we hope that this is a procedure that moves Matt past um, this painful issue that his body has just been rejecting for, for quite some time. So we know that, that God um, is the author of everything that goes on in our lives and that through all this that he is teaching Matt, and Matt is humbly and graciously accepting that teaching from God, but just pray that um, if it were up to us, we want Matt to be past this, and, and we hope that that's what God wants here too. So just be praying for him as well. So we're going to bow our heads, and then he'll get up here and teach. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much again, like we do every week, just for the opportunity to not only come together as a, as a church family, but to know that we dwell with the Holy Spirit tonight, that you're here, that you're present, that you're alive, and you're real. And we just pray that you will just fill this place, fill our hearts. Um, be with Matt as he teaches tonight, Lord. Be with us as a church, as, as Matt's going to be off for a few weeks, um, maybe even more than a month. Just be with us. Continue to be the, be the lifeblood of this church, the Holy Spirit that just drives us, not only as leaders, but as a family, um, to figure out ways to engage people with the gospel, to tell that truth, um, that wonderful truth to people in our communities, and our lives, where we go to work, where we go to school, where we live, um, that we might just be on fire for that, that we might just have a burning passion and desire in our hearts to share the truth of the gospel of folks. It's in your name we pray. Amen. How are we doing, Revolution? <laughs> All right. I'm going to play the Brian song, Steel Magnolia card, and just say, look, I may never see you again, so we can do better than that now, can't we? I, I know how to milk it. I'm a lawyer. Let's try that again. How are you doing, Revolution? 
<laughs> there we go. That's better. All right. Well, we are in First John still, so if you want to go there, I believe it is page 744 because we are now in First John 2. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We're not quite there. It's first, it is First John 217, but that is still on page 743 in the Blue Bibles, if you're using the Blue Bibles. Otherwise, you just want to go to 1 John 2, 17. Um, We are slowly looking at different verses in 1 John. Um, To answer a question, I asked you guys last spring when I was putting together a sermon schedule, um, where do we need to go? What do we need to talk about? What what are you guys dealing with? And everybody says, okay, we get the gospel because you have just like, you know, you guys hammer the gospel week after week after week after week. We get that. What we struggle with is holiness and submission and and living day to day. And what does it mean to be a Christian day to day? How do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I live that out? And so we've gone to 1 John because there's a lot of practical advice there. We've just been breaking that down through different verses, right? And so tonight, uh, 2.17. Here we go. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, that's the New Living Translation um, interpretation. Uh, If you go to like the ESV or something like that, it says those who do the will of God. Um, will, you know, abide in God forever. Do the will of God. And right up there with that, people coming to me and go, how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I really know um, that I'm saved? The, the second big question I get is, how do I know that I'm doing the will of God in my life? How do I know that what I'm doing is what God wants me to do. If, if the ESV translation is right, that those who do the will of God abide in him forever, that's kind of an important question. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. Now, on the one hand, the will of God is exactly what we've been talking about in First John since we started to work through this, that you recognize the authority of God. That's the light thing, that you place yourself under the authority of God. If you think about it, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-holy. So to argue with him about the right course of action is kind of stupid, right? And so the first thing is to recognize the authority of God. Place yourself under it. Don't be one of those people who are like, well, I know what the Bible says, but I just feel, right? That it doesn't work. Bible trumps your feeling, okay? The Old Testament says that the human heart is inherently wicked. So to trust something that is inherently wicked over the perfect word of God is not a very bright thing to do. It's not a wise thing to do. So you recognize the authority of God and the authority of God's word. We, we've talked about that. You, you confess your sins. You, you come and you be a part of a community of different people who hold you accountable and then pray for you and, and care for you, but also point out when you're wrong. And, and, and you confess your sins to one another. You, you recognize your sinfulness. You examine yourself to see where you are. You, these are the kind of things that you do as a Christian. That is the will of God. If you're doing these things, you're doing the will of God. If you're sharing the gospel, if you're worshiping, you're doing the will of God. But when most people see will of God, they automatically do not think, okay, yeah, I get it. Worship, go to church, tithe, share the gospel, that kind of stuff. But me, me individually, what, what am I supposed to do? What is the will of God? You know, who am I supposed to marry? What job am I supposed to have? Um, you know, what kind of music should I listen to? Um, all that kind of stuff. I get the whole, you know, all that stuff. Should I, should I stay here? Should I move there? Should I, all that kind of stuff, right? Should I go into ministry? Should I volunteer at the church? This, this, that. What is the will of God in my life? Now, 
part of the problem with this is whenever people are asking me this, they're not doing anything. Right? I've seen this. I don't know what the will of God is. So, you know, you, you just kind of just become frozen. And, and this is odd, this kind of fear where you kind of lapse into kind of a spiritual paralysis until, like, God sends you, like, a 40-page email detailing everything you're supposed to do with your life. You know, just doesn't work. That, that's not smart. And, and, and eventually what you'll do is you'll just grow angry with God. Right? You'll go angry. Why isn't God telling me what to do? When you're not doing those things that we just talked about, sharing the gospel, you're not doing those little things, and you're getting angry with God, which is a little like sitting in a parked car and getting mad at somebody for not steering, if you think about it. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But fear. Um, so many of us live in fear. Fear of making a huge mistake, right? And living with regret. Am I right? You're afraid of, of, of marrying the wrong person, taking the wrong job, doing the wrong thing, wasting time, wasting life. And people live in absolute fear of regret. And I get that. I understand that, but if you're a Christian, here's the thing you have to deal with when it comes to regret. If you are absolutely terrified of doing something that will lead you into regret, you are grossly underestimating what God can do with your life, your future. You are going to make mistakes. The only person who ever live that didn't make mistakes, ended up getting crucified, for goodness sakes, you will make mistakes and painful things will happen in your life. It's going to happen. You cannot avoid it. But if you live in that fear of regret, you are really underestimating what God can do. God will use your pain, your suffering, your mistakes. I am not saying that God tempts you to sin. God does never tempts anyone to sin. I am not saying that God sends pain into your life. He may or he may not. It, 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 there are all kinds of factors going on there, but he will use it. He will use it for his glory, for his honor, if you let him. You can have a horrible marriage that falls apart and still serve God. You can take the wrong job, get fired, have struggled to make ends meet, and still serve God. And God will use that. You're underestimating. If you have fear of regret, you're really underestimating. I'll give you an example. Um, there was a guy named George Mueller. Um, George Mueller was a 19th century preacher in England. And he had a rough go of it at first. He's a smart guy. He goes off to college in the 19th century. Less than like 3% of the people go to college. It's not like now where everybody's got like an online degree in something. He, you know, it was tough to do this. And so he was a really sharp guy, and they send him off, and he studies theology, and he comes back to London, and he gets ready to preach, and then he gets really sick. They have a church for him, but then he gets sick. He gets deathly ill. And so the church has to hire somebody else while he's recovering in a, in a hospital. They find him another church. He's ready to go. He goes, get ready to preach. He gets sick again. So they have to find somebody else to fill in, and they like that preacher. He's out of a job again. He's like, 
Lord, what are you doing? Then he finally, you know, he finds uh, another church after a long struggle, and he gets up in the pulpit, and he starts preaching, and they don't like what he's preaching. And he doesn't like them much either. He even tells them, back then they had this policy in some churches. Um, you ever been in a church and seen a name on a pew? Ever been in one of those old churches, got like a name on a pew? Okay, it used to be families would actually buy pews, and that was their seat, right? You did not sit there. That was their seat. That's reserved seating, right? You show up as a visitor, right? You got stadium seating. You go sit wherever. But they, the families got their pews, and they would actually rent out pews. And he didn't like that. He said, this is wrong. You should give just to give. You shouldn't give to make sure you have a prime seat, Right? And so they got into it about, you know, about all this. And finally, he was just like, I'm not taking a salary because you people want to tell me what to preach. And so he, he decided he wasn't going to take a salary. That didn't go over well. Everything blows up. He's in his 30s. He's married. He's got kids on the way. He's got no income. And he's like, Lord, what's going on? And he ended up basically falling into street ministry, helping people on the street because he didn't have anything else to do. And he ended up finding all these kids, all these orphans on the street of England. And he said, somebody's got to take care of these kids. So he went to people and, and got money to open orphanages. And he started to open one orphanage and then another and another. And it turned out he was really good at it. He's in his 30s. He's failed at everything else. But he's learned the hard way how to trust God, how to hit the streets, and how to take care of people no one else wants to take care of. And by the time he died... He took care of more than 10,000 orphans. He lived to be 92 years old for 60-odd years. He helped feed and clothe more than 10,000 kids. God prepared him for that. That's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to preach in a big church. He wanted to be Charles Spurgeon. He wanted to be, have a mega church. He wanted people to come and hear all his great thoughts, and he wanted to live a nice, comfortable life. Instead, he's got all these orphanages. He's got all these responsibilities, all these kids who are needing you know, food and milk and all this other kind of stuff, and half the time he didn't have the money, and it, somehow God would just always come in at the last minute. No one else could take the pressure but him, and he did it, and he took care of it. He tells a story about one morning he's at one orphanage. They have no food. They have no milk. Kids are going to get up in the morning, and they're going to be hungry. He gets down on his knees and says, God, I can't do this. You've got to do something. We haven't got a penny in the poor box. You've got to help me out here. Knock on the door at 6 a.m., opens it up. It's a milkman. Somebody just canceled an order. I can't take all this stuff back. I got milk. I got eggs. I got to give them to somebody. You want them? Boom. Right? He had learned through hardship to trust. Just trust God that everything would be oh. Okay, he used everything he'd been through. 10,000 plus orphans, man. God can use regret. You can't let regret paralyze you. But you're still going to ask the question, okay, all right, all right, I'll worship, I'll spare the gospel. But what is God's will for my life? I'll still get the question, right? And I got to say, it's okay. Otherwise, you're going to get mad at me because you're going to feel like you can't ask the question. And you want to ask the question. It's okay. George Mueller was asked that question too. Because of everything he'd gone through and everybody knew what he'd gone through, people would ask him all the time, what is God's will for my life? And he said, all right, let's talk about it. And he came up with six principles for knowing God's will. And here he goes. Now, number one, he said, you have to get your heart in a state that it has no will of its own. He said, you have to 
Pray, fast, whatever spiritual discipline you have to get closest to God to where you get to the point where you're like, okay, whatever God's going, whatever answer God's going to give me here, whether I like it or not, I'm going to accept it and do it, right? I had a professor in, in seminary who had committed himself to be a single guy till he died. He said, I'm never getting married. I'm just going to commit myself to God. And he would go off every summer and fast for 30 days out in the desert and just fast and pray. And just wait for God to talk to him. And we used to kid him all the time. So you know what God's going to say? Get married. (laughs) And you've got to get yourself in a state of your your heart where it is, if you really want to know the answer to this, you've got to accept the answer no matter what it is. Right? If you're living a nice, comfortable life, and God says, I want you to sell all that, go to South America, you do it. You get yourself in that state of heart where you're willing to accept whatever God says to do. He says, number two, once you've got your heart there, don't just go on feeling. He says, the biggest mistake people make is, well, I just feel this. He says, don't do that. Just because you've got yourself in a place where you're open to God does not mean that Satan's not going to come in there and whisper in your ear exactly what you want to hear and go, yes, you know, God wants me to win the lottery. Fantastic. I knew he did. Not necessarily. And how many of you have done that? You've seen the lottery figures up there? You know you've done it. You've been driving down the road. You look up. You see it's 141 million. You don't even notice it 12 million anymore, do you? And you look up there and you see 141 million, and you're like, now if I had that money, I'd feed the poor. <laughs> and you know what you're thinking. You hearing this, God? <laughs> right? Um, you can't just go on feeling. He says, number two, he said, you know, that's not where you need to go. You've got more work to do. He said, the next step is you have to go to the Bible. You may have a feeling, but that feeling has to match up with Scripture, okay? You, you cannot violate the Bible. God is not going to hit, God's spirit is not going to contradict the authors of the Bible that he inspired to write that. That's not going to happen, okay? So, example, Paul says to flee temptation, right? Whatever you is, and everybody's different. Everybody has different things that really set them off, right? Um, So let's say that you're a dude who struggles with lust. In other words, you're 99.9% of any dude, right? And you pray, and you're just like, God is leading me. I just feel like he's leading me to go to strip clubs and evangelize. No, he's not. (laughs) No, he is not. He might send your wife or somebody there. He's not sending you. It's not going to happen. God is not going to violate that. He's not going to say, flee temptation except for you. There's no footnote there that says, but you, you're okay, right? It has to cohere with the word of God. That's number three. Number four, Mueller says, is there an opportunity there or not? Has God opened a door? What you want to do, you know, you may have, your heart's in the right place. You know, you're open to that. What you want to do coheres with scripture. You know, your feeling coheres with scripture. Everything seems to be, okay, but is there an opportunity there? If there's not, You wait, because God hasn't opened that door. If God wants you to, he will will help you. That doesn't mean you don't take some proactive steps. But 
I mean, let's say, I mean, we have missionaries here. And it's like, I just know God wants me to be a missionary. But nobody will give you a dime to go be a missionary. No church is willing to sponsor you. You know what God's saying? Not yet. Or not at all. Because that has been open. You may go and ask churches. You say, yeah, this is on my heart. It coheres with scripture. I prayed about this a lot. I want to do this. And people are like going, yeah, we don't think you should. Then you're not going. God has to open that door. And then not only has God opened that door, you need to seek the prayerful advice of others. You need to go to others and say, hey, do you think I can do this? And you need to actually listen. You need to give them permission to be harsh, to be honest, to be frank. And listen to what they say. If like, you're like, I feel like I am called to preach. And you're so socially awkward that you can't look anybody in the eye. And your, your idea of conversation is to mumble people as they walk by. God did not call you to preach. If you're that kind of radical introvert, God did not call you. He, could, he may have called you to do all kinds of wonderful things, but he did not call you to that. And so people are probably going to tell you that, and you're going to have to listen. Or it might be the exact opposite. They say, you know what? I don't think you're good there, but you, you're, you know what you do? You're really good here. And you should listen to that. I meet with somebody here at Revolution who will remain nameless. I tell them all the time, you're really good at this. Like, I don't want to be good at that. I said, I know, but you are. She goes, but I don't want to do that. I said, God's not asking. That is something you have to do. And then, you know, when it's all said and done, you've got to ask yourself if you, you've got to look yourself in the mirror and ask if you can persevere. Can you do this even when it goes badly? If you, God is calling you to go plant a church, will you go there and spend five years just building a, a small group, taking whatever, you know, dumpy job you have to do, all that kind of stuff to keep it going? Will you be there when people march out on you, when people break your heart? Are you willing to carry through? If you haven't got that in their character, some people can't see that in you, you don't need to do it. So that's what George Mueller said. And when Tim Keller, who's really good, just kind of breaking stuff down, he said, basically what Mueller is saying is this. Number one, do I want to do this? Number two, would I be good at this? And number three, can I do it? Is the window of opportunity there? That's the way it is. You may want to do a lot of things. I want to do a lot of things. I want to do too much. You know? You know, I don't know why I thought I could work a 50-hour-a-week job, plan a church, write a book, spend all day Saturday with my son, find time with my wife. I don't know, disciple five people a week, have a small group. You know, that was stupid. I thought I could do it all. I was like, knock this off my, come on, I can do this. Yeah, bring it on. Oh, you want want me to do a Bible study? Yeah, sure, I'll drive to Cleveland back that day, come do your Bible study, come home, spend time with my wife, have two hours sleep, get up and kick it again that day. That was my attitude. And then God came along and, shoved something in my back, literally. And I spent three months on my stomach on, in bed. He's like, yeah, you really think you can do it all, huh? You can't. You need to be realistic. And the simple fact is we always need to recognize we get in our own way. The biggest impediment to doing God's will is not God. It's you. It's me. We get in our own way right? 
You want to know what the biggest reason we get in our own way? Here it is. We never, ever want to do anything outside what we want to do. We don't. We don't want to do. If we have these expectations, this is how we all think. I have this plan. Here's how I want my life to go. And if I don't get it, I'm not going to be happy. Right? I need to have this job. I need to have this spouse. I need to have this house. I need to have this much money. I need to look this way. That's what I need. And we get really upset when we don't get one of those things. We have all the stuff we want and we'll get upset. Right? That's just where we live. That's our, our wheelhouse is everything has to come in with our expectations. Here's the problem with expectations and plans. Here's the only problem. It'll get in that way of doing, of doing what God wants you to do. Think about this. If you have no plans, if you have no plans, you're pretty eh, meh, right? You're pretty easy to do anything if you have no plans. That's how people end up at Applebee's. Right? Where you want to eat? I don't know. Any place special? No. Applebee's? Okay. Right? That's how you end up at Applebee's. That's how you end up bowling. Nobody plans to go bowling, right? That's the Jim Gaffigan joke. You don't plan to go bowling. You do not. Do you really? Okay. (laughs) Okay, most people do not plan to go bowling, all right? Bowling is such a meh thing that I swear, you can be like the loneliest, most socially awkward human being on the face of the planet. You run into a group that you'd really like to hang out with. Hey, what'd you guys do last night? We went bowling. Oh, okay, never mind. (laughs) I stayed at home and cried, and that was probably more productive. Um, If you have no plans, you're indifferent. You're, you're, uh, You're open, right? Then you're open. But if you have plans, everything changes, right? Let's say that you have, for those of you who have children, you've seen this. Um, Children especially are very honest about doing what they want to do when they want to do it, right? So let's say that you want to take your kid to, like, the circus for the first time, and you just know because you know your kid they're really going to dig it. But what they want to do is they've already planned out they're going to be playing video games for the next 18 hours, right? And so... And you're like, no, man, come on, we're, we're, we're going to go to the circus. And they're like, no, you know. Like, come on, man, I'm telling you, it's going to be really, really cool, all right? It's not, you know, this isn't the lame circus, you know, that you see on, 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 on TV, this other kind of stuff. It's like, you know, I, I always thought, you know, Autumn Thompson always wanted me to go to her shows, you know, and, I, and Cirque du Art, and I'm always like, oh, okay, I'll go for Autumn. And then I go, and then, you know, you see the stuff she's doing. I mean, she's like, like flying over the crowd holding on to the trapeze by her pinky toe and you're like oh my gosh and you're like this is awesome and you get there like this is cool so you're telling your kid no you don't understand this is going to be really cool and so and you just have to drag them there and you get them there and they're like oh my gosh this is awesome and then that's all they want to talk about right this is how it is with the will of God we make plans and then when God doesn't do what we want to want to do we're just like oh but come on right this is what we do. And the biggest problem with having those kind of plans is this. Suffering never enters into our plans. Does it? 
You have never had, I don't care if it's the hardest missionary in the world. You never hear them say, right? Like we've been trying to talk Sean and Jen Diatley into, into doing the East End, um, you know, ministry. We just think they'd be really good at it. And, and, and so we just been, we've been badgering them every week that they're here and calling them out by name. And so <laughs> taking them to dinner, we bribe them, whatever we got to do. And so, um, you know, we just think that I've been praying about this. Ryan and praying, Justin, we just think they'd be really good at that. And so, and it's just like, all right, and we love them. We want them around, of course. And so, you know, but let's say, you know, Sean and Jen are good missionaries, but you will never hear Sean and Jen say, let's say we talk them into coming back here. And they're like, all right, we're going down the East End tonight. It's like, oh, really? What are you going to do? We're going to get stabbed and robbed. Really? Yeah, come on. No, thanks. <laughs> You don't, you know, nobody plans on stuff. You know, we're going down into the most crime-ridden neighborhood in all likelihood. Something eventually really bad is going to happen. Nobody, nobody says, oh, great. You never plan on that, right? And yet, according to the Bible, we suffer. We're supposed to suffer because you can't enter into somebody else's life who's hurting and not suffer. You can't enter into that pain and bring them out of it without sharing some of it. You just can't. And we're not called to just sit back and watch that happen. We're called to go and do it and get involved. And you will suffer. And nobody wants to do that, but it's going to happen. If you're going to do anything of consequence, it's going to happen. Uh, I think it was Elizabeth Elliot who said, it's not that Christians are called out of suffering. It's that Christians are called to suffer as Jesus suffered. In other words, for a purpose, for other people, as part of redemption. And you have to be open and prayerful and seek advice and all kind of stuff to be ready to go. And you have to be willing to suffer. John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, the guy who kept pushing William Wilberforce to keep fighting against slavery. John Newton had a prayer that he prayed every day. And this was it. What thou wilt, when thou wilt, how thou wilt. Whatever you want, God, whatever you want, God, however you want to do it, God. That was his prayer. You want to know how to know the will of God in your life? You can honestly say that prayer. When you can honestly say that prayer, you're ready. You're ready to go. And God will take care of it. He promised he would be with you to the very end. And he'll take care of it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Um, that you don't leave us to our own devices. You've given us your word. You've given us wise, mature Christian leaders who will help us. You've given us spiritual disciplines to, to soften our hearts. And so we know that if we're just willing to do the work, if we're willing to put ourselves before your throne, on our knees, and ready to hear whatever answer you give. Ready to do whatever you want us to do, however you want us to do it, whenever you want us to do it. 
But that's when we can truly know what your will is for our lives. And I pray that every single person here comes to that knowledge. They come to that spiritual state where they can do that. I pray that then they will just go out and they will go into the darkness. They will enter into the suffering and into the pain. And they will just show people your love. And they will risk everything to do that. Absolutely everything. Because in the end, that's all there is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.